sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. It's not your wife. It's not your kids. It's not your neighbor. And it sure isn't your boss. Only we understand you. We are your friends. You're listening to The Winning Edge. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Rise and shine, sports investors. It is another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Thursday, January 7th. Let's cock-a-doodle-do it. This is the early line right here on SportsGrid giving you the edge. I'm the spitting statistician, Dane Martinez. And as always, I got my main man, Kevin Walsh, burning the candle at both ends, trying to give you all the information you need to make it a profitable day. And fundamentally, we will, you know, Try to put the fun in functional sports content at the same time. We welcome everybody listening to us. It is a new day for us here on SportsGrid. Also, Kev, we got the lights on at Sirius XM. Plenty of people hearing us put the fun in functional sports content, Kev. How you doing bright and early on this special morning? Uh, I'm excited to go. Uh, we got a lot to get to. Uh, last night, big night in the NBA. Uh, and as we get closer and closer to Wild Card Weekend, uh, you kind of you get that sense, man. And I, I'll just quickly tell you this: six games, right move. I love it already. The fact yeah. that the more the more the better. I'm all about it. Absolutely, the more the merrier. We will be talking about Wild Card Weekend later on in the show, where we will have three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. Make sure you get all your errands done before this weekend. But you mentioned a big night in the association. Where do you want to go first, Kev? I mean, Bradley Beal drops 60. Gordon Hayward drops 44. For these Charlotte Hornets that I know you think have a nice young core, beating the Atlanta Hawks, who have now lost a couple in a row. I mean, we've got a lot of other things. Kawhi playing on a back-to-back. And my New York Knicks continuing to look decent. I mean, Julius Randle dropping like 30-16. and Austin Rivers could not be stopped late. A lot of stuff going on in the association. What uh, kind of was tops on your radar from last night? I think the fact that you went through all of that right there shows how packed of a slate it was. It leaves out probably the marquee matchup of the night, Heat-Celtics, and I still don't think any of it was the most important thing. Unfortunately, the most important story last night was a season-ending injury for the Mm. Orlando Magic starting point guard Markel Fultz. Fultz was having that season. Where I was like, yeah. okay, hold on a minute now. Looks like maybe we've shaked, you know, all the Philly stuff. and all, all Maybe he was right. a number one overall pick. <laughs> right. Like, hey, maybe not everyone was completely insane for seeing how talented this dude was. Dane, he got himself up at one point. I think he was like the second option on the board for most improved player. And mm. I was buying what they were selling. Like, yeah, like this guy fits the, the description to a T. I will say this, the Magic right now are 6-2 and two on this young season. It looks like Cole Anthony is going to get the call into the starting lineup, which is a right. big deal. Last night, when this news was breaking, he was 30-1 to one to win Rookie of the Year, Cole Anthony. He is now 16-1, to one, almost cut exactly in half Cole Anthony for Rookie of the Year. There still might be value on that number, depending how he plays for the Orlando Magic. The other thing that I find really fascinating, Dane, is how Orlando is being priced 
in the to make the playoffs market. They are hmm. minus 155, yes, because of this 6-2 and two start. But if you go through the who have they beat, that right. plus number sat next to no paired with the Fultz injury might be an attractive option. Okay, fair enough. Listen, we talk about what happened in the NBA. You talk about Orlando looking good. The uh, Toronto Raptors have fallen to one and six. So if you talk about some surprise, make the playoffs. Maybe there's some surprise, miss the playoffs as well. As we welcome in our radio audience, big shout out to all of our affiliates. Thanks for getting up on the grid and getting the edge with us here early in the morning right here on Sports Grid. If you want the winning edge, you have come to the right place. You know, Kev, at the same time, though right we keep going on there are five games in the association today as people kind of like get out of the football season right as we turn the calendar you know we have playoffs in the nfl we've got you know college football coming to an end people are gonna have to start to dive in a little bit more right to the nba and that is what you do here on Sports Grid for anybody who doesn't know just yet. So let's start to turn our attention to some of the games today or tonight. I mean, Kev, you know, this first one I think is really interesting. Philadelphia is going to Brooklyn tonight, right? And the Sixers team is a team that has been playing well recently. Joel Embiid looks good. Maybe it's the Doc Rivers kind of impact there. And then with Brooklyn, we know this is another game that Kevin Durant is going to miss because of his quarantine a game in fact that you were very upset that he was going to miss because you wanted to see this kind of marquee matchup and see what the Brooklyn Nets do up against these Sixers I mean they started the season off great had a little bit of a a lull already but you know Kyrie certainly looked like he's capable even without KD in their last outing yeah so for me Durant not playing takes a little bit of luster off this game, but the Nets' last outing maybe put a little bit more back on because they completely rolled Utah at home, and maybe they're going to be able to keep their heads above water more so than people would have thought despite Kevin Durant's absence. But, Dane, we have the opportunity here to basically you know complete the fast break. We got a great defensive hmm. stop because we said – the both of us, that Brooklyn still had some value in that right. first game without Durant. Because that right. first game without a player, teams have this ability to step up. It's that next outing where now maybe not everybody shoots 80% from the field where it felt like that's what the Nets did, putting up 130 against Utah. The only reason that we don't have Sixers tickets in the back pocket yet, they're off a of back-to-back. Need to make mm. sure we've got Embiid, Simmons, and a lot of them. If they are out there, we love Philly. We're running the fast break here on the early line. Outlet, outlet. Come on back. What's up? Since you were SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. TV, satellite, and our mobile app. We make it easy, like real easy. 
In fact, if you're not listening, it's you. It's always you. Slacker. We are the Sports Grid Radio Network. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge on Sports Grid. Kevin and Dane, thinking about the um, the games in the NBA tonight, right? We already talked a little bit about Philly and Brooklyn, but there is no shortage of opportunities to make money in the association tonight. Talk to me about these Cleveland Cavaliers, Kev. I mean, you know, there are people on this network who want to ride this horse this year, right? The Cavs, they are um, getting four. They go to Memphis. Memphis, in my opinion, has kind of underperformed this year, you know, and they don't necessarily have that, like, we were in the bubble for a long time kind of excuse. This was one of the teams, Kev, that you were very excited about their young core, right, that they were going to be able to come back at. We all know about John Morant and what his season has been like so far. Talk to me about Memphis and Cleveland. We've got uh, the Grizzlies as four-point favorites in the grindhouse. The total is 210 and a half. Yeah, the, the tough thing for Memphis is the young core isn't out there, right? I mean, exactly. Jaron Jackson Jr., we knew he wasn't going to be available, and, and now they are missing John Morant uh, exactly. ever since that game against Brooklyn. And it's, it's going to be hard for this team. The fact that they're laying four really speaks to the level of basketball the Cavs have been playing in the absence of Darius Garland, which is surprising how important it seems. I mean, Garland's a good player, but this team looked like they were going to be, you mentioned, you know, some folks here on the network been excited about the Cavs. Yeah. Uh, the, the shine has been taken off due to Garland's absence. Kevin Love also uh, missing a lot of these games for the Cavs. The, this is the, the big thing here. And I think this game is almost enough of a proof point now with some other games that we've seen, Dane. I believe that the sports books are packing on at least a point, if not more, for a team being at a rest disadvantage. The Cavs are playing a mm. back-to-back here, or, you know, and a road back-to-back at that. Yeah. And I believe it does matter to the number. Now, does that mean that I've... Just because it's there, does that mean, though, that it's inflated, right? Or is it a situation where believe them in its value and lay right. that type of wood with Memphis? Like, the Grizzlies, to me do not have the kind of talent that you want to be laying four points with. The Cavs are playing a level of basketball where it's going to be tough. Here's what I've seen, though. The Cavs' offense, it's, I mean, it's completely evaporated. If you just go day over their last five, they've scored 86, 99, 96, 83, 94. I mean, that is horrendous. Yeah. And Memphis is much is better total right here. now. Yeah, two ten and a half is a real no, a real low number. And then there's it a is. world that you look back on this, and these two teams on an off night get to two twenty. But I think I'll take my chances with that. Sometimes low totals in the NBA are low totals for a reason, and I think the Absolutely. under could be the way to play this game. No, I hear you when you talk about the adjustment. There's also the idea of the back-to-back here that you mentioned, Kev. We have been talking, or at least I've been trying to elicit from you, Should we? do we see any trends yet, right? Are there any things that we can start to hang our hat on? Remember, I asked you some of the same things at the beginning of the NFL season, right? As these teams are kind of defining who they will be, I was asking you about back-to-backs in the same building, right? I was asking you about some of the unique elements of this season and if we can get ahead of anything so the idea that you talk about the back-to-backs again uh is something we should keep our eye on as we continue on into this unique nba season let me ask you another team i want to ask you about is the denver nuggets 
Kev, the Denver Nuggets will be at home. They are three-point favorites against Dallas tonight. 225 is the total in this one. You know how the way I feel about the Denver Nuggets. I think they are a team that really is a true contender. They, they have gotten off to a slow start. Remember, this time, I believe the idea of being in the bubble for a while and that hangover could be in play, but it's certainly not impacting Nikola Jokic. Tell me what you think about the Nuggets in this one. They are three-point favorites at home. Yeah, th- this is a spot where Denver had a double up at home against a Timberwolves team that's yet to secure a win without Carl Anthony Towns. So th- it's you take it for the context, but they needed to see a couple go in the basket because Denver's start right. to the year was looking ugly. To be and some of those games again, you know that especially that most recent game against Minnesota, that was in, in itself looking a little ugly. There, in come a Mavericks team that's been hot and cold. They to me of certain. Me being lower on Luka's odds to an MVP because I didn't know if they would be good enough through the early start of the season, I feel good about that because they right. don't look good enough. They don't, yeah. I do think that a total here of 225, and look, sometimes it feels like a totals night. Sometimes it's a sides night. Sometimes you kind of go back and forth. But total here is 225. Here's what I know. On this young season, the Denver Nuggets, 6-1 and one to the over. Dallas is 5-2 and two to the under. But Dallas has offensive talent to me, or at least the capabilities to score if needed and with anybody. I think that you play this to the over and see if Dallas can kind of show up to the party here with Denver. Hmm. Because these are two teams, these are two offenses, Dane, that it, they could play a game in March, Denver continues on this trajectory where they can score the ball. Dallas gets right, and the number right. is 235 and a half instead of 225, no, no. right? So I think playing this to the over can make some sense. Listen, that makes sense to me. I mean, didn't you tell me all during last season that the Dallas Mavericks, like, offensive efficiency, and they were putting up numbers that were, like, all-time numbers? I know yeah. Denver can score, so maybe, you know, if they round back into form going on to the over in this one makes sense to me. Last game on the slate that I want to touch on with you, Kev, doesn't have a total yet, so you're going to have to pick a side in this one. It is your Los Angeles Lakers, yeah. who are 6-2 and two and seem to be humming. They are at home. They welcome in Popovich and the Spurs. They're three and four. The Lakers uh, will be laying seven and a half points. As I mentioned, no total in this one. I wonder, is that a question of availability, of rest, things of that nature, an interesting schedule spot, or just because they're still calculating what the algorithms say, Kev? What do you think about this one? Do the Lakers and LeBron have enough to cover the number? So I wonder the lack of total we always talk about when a total isn't there it means the book is missing important information and typically it means availability i feel like the lakers might be a team where they just don't get totals posted until maybe 5 p.m because (laughs) they just are they're always going to wonder hey is lebron playing is ad playing even though ad's missed one game lebron is yet to miss a game during this young lakers season here's why this is so fascinating. These teams just had a double up in San Antonio. Lakers won both, covered one, uh, and they weren't able uh, to get the cover. Or Actually, they might have been able to cover both of those games because it would have been a lower number uh, in San Antonio. Let me pull up that number. No, it's actually still a seven and a half. So uh, the Lakers kind of split the cover, but they won both of those games. And the Lakers have now won four games in a row, so they see this team again. Here's what I'm going to see, Dane, if we can go back to. Last year, all the time, a little bit different because it's a 
odder season. The travel, though, was never the worry. When teams right. used to double up in the Staples Center, it was a real gift to whoever got to see that team second. Like, there were right. many of nights where I, right. I, you know, as a Laker backer, would be jealous mm-hmm. that the Clippers would get to see right. the tougher opponent. On some level, I mean, think about it. The Knicks there. got the Utah Jazz last night after they were in Barclays. Um, mm-hmm. The previous game, right? That kind of same, although being in a different building. So I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and now again, the Spurs had a night off. That's fine, but are they going to go to the Staples Center and take two of these, take two games? That's very unlikely, right? So we're talking, again, we're talking covering a number here, but I I think the Lakers getting back home and putting up, for the first time since, you know, in the new year, right, in their last home game, they actually lost that game. The Lakers are going to want to start putting out better and better results uh, on their home floor because they're unbeaten on the road. Uh, they're 2-2 two and two at home. The Lakers, to me, winning this game feels very likely, but what are we going to do? We're going to find a money line parlay partner. I don't know if that's going to be the way we play it tonight. I've been covering the 7.5. I think it's one of those nights where I feel good about the Lakers laying a number. No, fair enough, Kevin. When you talk about these Moneyline Parlay partners, maybe the other one is Portland. That is the biggest spread on the night. It is a 10-point spread at home against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I've been wondering, like, at this part of the season, it's so early. Do you really want to lay 10 points with anybody? You know, because we don't know necessarily. So maybe, like you mentioned, finding a Moneyline Parlay is the way to go. We go for the two in college football with our guy Joe Lisi when the early line comes. To be honest, we should come with a warning. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back in, everybody, right here to Sports Grid on the early line. We give you the winning edge, Dane and Kevin. Big shout out to all of our affiliates around the country, around the globe. So many ways to get the winning edge here on Sports Grid. And what we do here before, when we talk college football, we go for the two with our guy, Joe Lisi. So we bring him in right now to the early line. First of all, Joe, it's the first time I've spoken to you here in 2021. Let me be probably one of the last people to wish you happy holidays and happy new year. How you doing, brother man? Oh, I'm doing well, Dean and uh, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Uh, Happy New Year as well. 2021 is here. We finally made it. National championship game on the line between Alabama and uh, Ohio State. Doesn't get better than this. I'm chomping at the bit for next week's game. Absolutely. But I do have to ask you right off the jump when you say next week's game, do we know that for sure, Joe? Because listen, what we have been hearing right off the bat is that now Ohio State is dealing with some issues related to COVID. This, unlike, say, some of the other bowl games or if it was the semifinals, there is some added flexibility here, right? Because it is the finish line in essence. So they could move it, push it back a week. What are you hearing about this? What is going on with Ohio State vis-a-vis a little COVID outbreak? And do you think they actually might move the national championship game? 
I don't think they will, Dean. And they came out the college football playoff committee and said the game is scheduled for January 11th at 8 o'clock. And we'll see what transpires over this coming weekend in terms of the Ohio State team. Now, Ohio State did deal with COVID issues in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern. They looked a little rusty with Chris Olave, their big play wide receiver, right. not in the lineup. But somehow, some way, they found a way to get that victory. And I think it's all systems go. I think a lot of Alabama fans, including Nick Saban's daughter, came out vocally and said that, you know, the reason Ohio State is using COVID as an issue is to to give Justin Fields another week to heal those ribs suffered in, in the semifinal playoff win over Clemson. I don't know about that. I think Ohio State is ready to play. I think if they win this ball game, it'll be because they run the football with Trey Sermon and their heavy offensive line. And that offensive line that's averaging 320 rushing yards per game over the last four games of the season. So we'll see what transpires. But early on, I like Ohio State in this matchup. And, and Joe, I think you uh, will probably expand on that a little bit more, but I kind of want to work our way backwards to how we got to this point that it's, it's the Buckeyes versus the Crimson Tide. And for a lot of people, the fact that we're not saying Alabama versus Clemson is jarring, right? Ohio State didn't just win that game. They went blow for blow, but then they kept punching and punching and punching. And Justin Fields threw six touchdowns. And Trey Sermon was just short of a 200-yard rushing game. When you see that performance from Ohio State, not just the fact that they were able to beat Clemson, but ultimately kind of run them off the field. How surprising was that for you? Well, it was very surprising in the sense that, you know, Clemson in semifinal playoff games took the blessed blow, especially last year after trailing in that matchup, made adjustments and found a way to eke out a six-point win, 29-23. to But this game was won, Kevin, in the interior. You mentioned it, the big uglies on both sides of the ball for Ohio State pushed around the Clemson Tigers. And I think that's the most, you know, interesting fact that came out of that ballgame. Ohio State rushed for 254 yards on the ground. This is an offense and a line now that has shown continuity and consistency and is peaking at just the right time of the year. So very impressed. As great of an effort as Justin Fields did and had in the semifinal playoff game, this game was won in the trenches by the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I think it carries through, through against Alabama. We'll see how it plays out though. Hey, Joe, we talked about how, you know, Ohio State has arrived to the national championship game. Let's talk about how Alabama arrived to the national championship game with their 31-14 victory over the Fighting Irish. I know both you and the Candleburner got that backdoor cover, but talk to me about, you know, quite frankly, Alabama looks unstoppable to me. I mean, a swing pass to the eventual Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, he can just go and take it to the house you know it they're so explosive i guess you know can they be stopped and can ohio state kind of keep up i mean i know what ohio state did but alabama looks awfully impressive what if anything did you take from their semifinal victory over the irish 
Just a well-oiled machine, right? You never see Alabama slip. I think the only game this year that we've seen Alabama possibly be challenged is early on in the season by Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss putting up over 600 yards of total offense on that defense. I mean, what can you say about Alabama, guys? I mean, the biggest thing is that they maintain and sustain drives. You can't get them off the field. They're first in FBS in terms of third down conversions, 59%. And in order to beat Alabama, you need twofold you need to get off the field on third downs you need to win the turnover battle but more importantly you need to control the time of possession and run the football consistently now Notre Dame did that early on in the first half they got away from that in the second half because they fell behind and became one-dimensional but right now Mm -hmm. Alabama's clearly the best team in the country but in order to beat them I think you need to run the football and that's why I favor Ohio State in this matchup so, Joe, as, as we go through this road that gets us to the national championship, I, I want to take a detour to some of the other teams. And no, ultimately, Notre Dame profiles as one of the other teams. And this performance was a roller coaster to watch because a lot of victory laps were taken on. Oh, told you Notre Dame didn't belong. And then all of a sudden, there were moments where it looked like Notre Dame was really going to get back into this football game. All in all, Alabama scores just under 50 points per game going into this game. Notre Dame holds them to 31. I thought that their defense, you could argue this year, where because of how explosive offenses were, it was probably championship level. The offense let them down. But And, Joe, maybe you don't think that Notre Dame even needed to validate their position in the top four. But with this performance, how do you review this season for Notre Dame? Was it a step in the right direction, or is it ultimately just another year where they find themselves embarrassed on a national stage? No, I don't think they got embarrassed on a national stage, Kevin. I think in order for Notre Dame to take the next step, it's they need to develop a quarterback. Ian Book is good. He's not elite. And uh, when you don't have elite playmakers around him, it, it really is a more glaring weakness for that offense. I mean, look at Mac Jones. He's not an elite quarterback in the sense of he's not like Justin Fields. He's not like Trevor Lawrence. But he gets it done because he has explosive playmakers like Devontae Smith, Najee, Harris, Jalen Waddle, Mechie. I mean, the the list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. If you surround the Ian Book with that type of talent, I'm sure that he could put up great numbers in terms of that scheme. But when you're handcuffed in terms of you have to run the football, and when you fall from behind, can that offense lead you back? That was the one Achilles heel for Notre Dame. So they're headed in the right direction. But until Brian Kelly could develop that elite type of quarterback, a la Trevor Lawrence, a la Tua, especially at the collegiate level, Justin Fields, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the the type of semifinal playoff dominance that we've seen by Alabama and Ohio State, respectively. Hey, Joe, you know, when we come back from the other side of the break, I want to ask you more about this national championship game. I also want to ask you about what you're seeing heading into the NFL draft, which is what a lot of these college players will now start to get ready for in late April. But I do want to ask you about two other teams and their bowl games. I mean, teams that we have been talking about uh, for the better part of the college football season. One is Oklahoma, who went out there and actually dump trucked the Florida Gators in the Cotton Bowl. They looked really, really good. It makes me wonder, and I I know Kevin may get a little bit upset about this. It makes me wonder, should they have been the ones that got a crack at Alabama in the one-versus-four game? And the other team I want to ask you about is Cincinnati. 
You know, we've been talking about them all year long, Joe, right? And they had their opportunity against a blue blood in Georgia. And I know ultimately they did not win that game. But if you looked and watched that game, they they held up, right? They were able to stop the run where people didn't think they were going to be able to do. And, you know, they... They played with the big boys. Talk to me about your perceptions now in the future for Oklahoma and Cincinnati. Well, I think Oklahoma, if they got into the college football playoff, they'd be one of the most lethal teams in college football, and they can compete Alabama, Ohio State, in terms of you know explosiveness and having a chance to win the national championship. Obviously, the two losses hurt them. Having a, a redshirt freshman quarterback in Spencer Rattler, having to deal with his maturity and development and progression over the course of the year really helped hurt this team in terms of national championship hopes this year. But when you look at that defense under Alex Grinch, especially in run support, they came on and possibly had their best defense in Norman over the past decade. So I agree with that statement that, you know, that victory over Florida, granted there were 20 players that opted out, but that was still the sure. dominance of Oklahoma and peaking at just the right time. So I think 2021, I think Oklahoma is a front runner to win the national championship with Alabama, with Clemson and Ohio State. So wow. we'll see if Spencer Rattler can do it. Now, with Cincinnati, I agree with you, uh, Dane, in the sense they went toe to toe with my Georgia Bulldogs. They belong. From a, they belong. Uh, from a speed and talent level on the perimeter, that's where they the glaring weaknesses showed, right? They didn't have that elite talent to take the top off of Georgia's defense late in the ballgame when it mattered most. And when Georgia pinned their ears back and then showed that they were motivated, they came to play. And that was one of the best defenses in the SEC. So great effort by Luke Fickle and the crew. They couldn't get it done, but this is a great showing for the American Athletic Conference heading into 2021. Thank you for saying that, Joe. I had to try to, like, convince you all season long. You were willing to fade them every single week. They kept on getting through the thresholds until ultimately, and like you said, one of the best bowl games of bowl season, they were ultimately upended by them Georgia Bulldogs. When we come back, we talk more about the national championship game and the NFL draft with Joe Lisi. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Work. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, right here on SportsGrid, giving you the winning edge, Dane Martinez and Kevin Walsh. And we've got our guy, Joe Lisi, as well. We go for the two here when we want to talk college football. And, Joe, we stand on the precipice of the national championship game. We think it will happen on Monday. We hope it will happen on Monday. Here's what i got to ask you about. You've already talked, Joe, about how you think Ohio State is live here, that they could get the job done against the Tide. That's not the part I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about this total, Joe. 74 and a half, man. I mean, listen, I've seen what Alabama has done on a week-in, week-out basis. I saw Justin Fields with his ribs in the semifinal. I'm not trying to throw shade here, but fundamentally, in order to get over 74 and a half, Joe, don't you kind of need a perfect ride? Don't you kind of need, like, no feeling each other out in the first quarter? Don't you kind of need no defensive stops? Like, 
Are you scared at all by this 74 and a half? Or are you like, to hell with it? I'll take the over. No, I'm not scared because I'm taking the under. Now, <laughs> now okay. in order, now, now, it, let, let's bring up some facts about about the total, right? It's the highest total since that 2014 matchup, which I believe when I was out in Vegas was the same between Oregon and Ohio State. Ezekiel Elliott, that line opened up at 74 and a half, went dead under in that matchup because Ohio State ran the football and kept it away from Oregon's offense. I think that's the same recipe in terms of this matchup going up against Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddell for Alabama. Now, last year, the total opened up at 71. They knocked it down to 69, and it did go under. Clemson had that touchdown call back, so it was the first under since 2014 in terms of national championship playoff game. I think it comes down to this. In order for Ohio State to win, as great as Justin Fields was, they need to pound the rock with Master Teague and Trey Sermon in this matchup. Now, if they can't do that, they're going to have to go to the air, which will make them one-dimensional. But if they do have success on the ground, I think they keep Mac Jones on the sidelines. That's the way you stop Alabama. You run the football, you sustain drives, time of possession, ball control, and you limit possessions for the Alabama offense. If they can do that, I think they'll win this ball game. And let's keep in mind, Ohio State has shown a tendency to do that. Big Ten Championship, they rushed for 399. They rushed for 254 last week against Clemson. If they put up 254 against Alabama, they're winning this ball game next Monday night. So I, I like I like this though because seventy four and a half is a, is a big number. But I bet over in the SEC title game we got a hundred points. Like it ended up being a spot where we should have just kept clicking the over. Now I understand not everything's going to work that way. My thing is Joe and. So Bama can be on the sideline for as long as you want to keep him there. Against Notre Dame, and I would say Notre Dame is a better defense than Ohio State, they scored three touchdowns on their first three drives, and the longest one was two minutes and 36 seconds. I mean, it just doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter how long you keep them there if they're going to keep scoring touchdowns in less than three minutes. And Ohio State, even if they're running the ball, I mean, are they really going to take 40 seconds off the play clock every time? And how much does it matter if Trey Sermon's averaging seven yards per carry? Don't you you think, Joe, that there's something to the idea that even if it's a run game for Ohio State, if it's efficient enough, and if Bama is going to score touchdowns in three minutes every outing, that you can still get to this number? Oh, you could definitely get to this number. It's college football, Kevin. So, I mean, you know, oh, yeah. 74 and a half is a light number when they're, it's a track meet, <laughs> if, if it's going to be that style of game. Yeah. Now, you, we have to break it down previous, prior to the game, not in-game, right? So, if I see the mm-hmm. game start to develop from an in-game perspective, I might change my theory. But I think early on, Ohio State goes in, they run the football, they score first. That's, that's very critical to knocking off Alabama. You need to dictate the tempo you need to score first look the first thing that Alabama did they took the football five minutes down the clock 10 play drive boom they're up seven nothing next thing you know they're up 14 nothing against Notre Dame takes them out of their game plan right if Ohio State scores first takes seven minutes off the clock now Mac Jones has to go on the field if he goes three and out somehow some way now that really favors the rushing attack of Ohio State to limit possessions so we'll see that's what makes the, the chess game so interesting in terms of a national championship type of breakdown. But I still lean to Ohio State in the rushing attack, and I'll take under 74.5 in this ball game.
Hey, Joe, one of the names you just mentioned when, when you were listing off the embarrassment of riches on the Alabama offensive side was Jalen Waddle, And it looks like Waddle will, in fact, maybe be back for this national championship game. You know, Joe, I, earlier in the week, I was asking Kevin, as it related to Devontae Smith winning the Heisman, right? Like, well, if Smith went down and got hurt, would Waddle have these numbers and maybe be the Heisman Trophy winner? Talk to me about what Waddle can add to this already dynamic dynamic offense and the kind of player he is vis-a-vis Devontae Smith. He's a Tyree Kill type of player. Explosiveness. That's what you think of when you think of Jalen Waddle. His ability to take the top off opposing defenses. You've seen it against Georgia. Big play, 90-yard reception. That's what Jalen Waddle does. You know, run him on seam routes, run him on post patterns, and run off those secondary players to allow running lanes for Najee Harris and allow Devontae Smith to work over the middle on dig routes and the middle of the field. That's where Devontae Smith is most lethal is over the middle of the field. So I look at Jalen Waddle as the Tyreek Hill type of player, and I said it before that Devontae Smith is a more athletic Marvin Harrison. So take that comp and and do what you want with it. But but he's a dynamic playmaker. I mean, that is, goodness gracious, what a ridiculous (laughs) team uh, they have. Let me ask you, though, Joe, too, because obviously, you know, Sermon is is now getting a lot of headlines because of how great he was in the Big Ten title game, and he was great again against Clemson. But Fields had as many touchdowns as incompletions. I, I mean, it was... It has. It's got to be one of the best, you know, quarterback performances in the college football playoffs, young history. And one of the things that was starting to work for that team was the deep ball. And Alave missed the Big Ten title game, and clearly they were very pleased to have him back out there on the field against Clemson. Of course, the run game is going to be a part of it, and you don't want to put Mac Jones and that offense out there as much as possible. But do you think that the deep ball will also continue to be a big part of how Ohio State looks to attack Alabama? Because even if you know my Irish couldn't go out there and put pressure on that defense, I still believe that's a Bama defense that can be had with an offense like Ohio State's that has the talent that Ohio State's has. Oh, agree, Kevin. I mean, Ole Miss was able to challenge that defense vertically, and that's the way you beat Alabama. When I watch offenses run slam patterns, hitch patterns, go sideline to sideline on bubble screens, that goes right into the strength of the Alabama defense. That's not how you beat Alabama. You have to challenge them vertically. Seam patterns and post patterns to get those linebackers thinking pass first. So if Ohio State can do that and be aggressive on first and second down, that will open up running lanes for Trey Sermon and those running backs. So it's not just pound the rock on first down, pound the rock on second down, third and three, and maybe we'll pass it. No, you cannot get into predictable third down type situations against the front seven of the Crimson Tide. You have to be aggressive with your play calling, but that doesn't mean chucking it 40 or 50 times a game. Just means throw early on in terms of running downs that'll loosen up the front seven for Alabama hey Joe you know after the national championship game one thing we know is a lot of these players a lot of these stud players on both teams will start to get ready for the NFL draft you know and even yesterday Trevor Lawrence you know Clemson they're not playing anymore Trevor Lawrence formally did in fact announce that he was declaring for the draft we all knew that was going to happen but I want to get your thoughts because listen I've got Kevin over here telling me that you know Justin Fields outperformed Trevor Lawrence that they have been like neck and neck the entire time I've also got people 
telling me that like it's going to be an Ohio State man that maybe takes that Jaguars job and has the number one overall pick. You know I'm a Jets fan sitting at two. Talk to me about this quarterback draft market. Like, is Justin Fields on the same tier as Trevor Lawrence? Is it a 1A, 1B situation as a Jets fan? Should I entertain these ideas of Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance at number two? Or should I ride with Sam Darnold and get another bookend tackle at that position? You know, maybe the kid out of Oregon. Give me a little bit of insight now that their seasons are pretty much done about, you know, these quarterbacks as they head to the draft. Is there any uh, luster off of sunshine right now? I don't think there is, but it depends on the type of quarterback that you want, Dane, in terms of leading your organization. If you want a prototypical dropback passer, even though Trevor Lawrence is mobile, he's still a pure pocket passer, then you go with Trevor Lawrence. If you want that Jalen Hurts mobile type of quarterback, hmm. he's not Kyler Murray, but he's a mobile type of quarterback that can make plays on the perimeter. It's Justin Fields. I still think he's a raw pocket passer, even though we picked apart Clemson's defense Last week, uh, one game doesn't make a season, even though he completed 70% of his passes, it was against sub-500 competition playing in the Big Ten. So, again, I need to see more of a body of work at Justin Fields. Now, that aside, I still believe he's the second-best quarterback in this draft. Hmm. He was a five-star athlete, went to Georgia under Kirby Smart. It was a pro-style offense, and that's why it didn't fit his physical attributes. But if you're an NFL GM or coach, you need to put Justin fields in the right type of scheme in the right type of system to balance his strengths if you don't do that and force him into a system he's going to be blake bortles 2.0 so joe i want to ask you two quick yes or no questions and then i'll look for you to kind of expand on why you give the answers that you give but i think you're the perfect person to ask if urban meyer is the head coach of the jaguars is there any chance that he passes on justin fields there's a possibility if he does, just because he's, you know, Ohio State guy and he favors mobile quarterbacks. I think the more NFL ready quarterback right here, right now is Trevor Lawrence. So it, it depends. Do you want to have a two or a three year window or do you want to hit the ground running with the best right. pure arm in the draft? And that's Trevor Lawrence right now. So I don't so, know if he goes for fields just because he's an Ohio State guy. So Urban Ryan, he he didn't coach Fields, so I could see that. The second question, though, Joe, and you can take this however, but if Ryan Day is the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, is there any chance that he passes on his current quarterback in Justin Fields? There's always a possibility, Kevin. I mean, they're just because it's a college coach, is he getting full control of those decisions? You know, that's what it comes down to. Matt Rowell, the reason why I didn't take the Giants job is he couldn't pick his own staff. So, if he, I mean, mm -hmm. if you're getting full, complete control, then, yes, I think Ryan Day would take Justin Fields the way Kingsbury took Kyler Murray. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But if he doesn't have that type of autonomy, then there's a possibility of a situation that's fragmented a la the New York Jets. Joe Douglas got hired after Adam Gase. I mean, that right. was crazy yeah. just to think about it. Hey, Joe, last question for me. I mean, we're going to have the national championship game. What do you do after that, Joe? Like, what do you do after the college football season is over? Are you just going to be on a Jet ski somewhere? Guys, like, what's up for you? I start. 
I take a couple weeks off. I watch college basketball, and I start I start previewing the upcoming season. It never stops right. with college football. You know that. But I follow all right, the twelve months well. a year. I follow March Madness. I know, I know. But I'm just wondering, like, is this finally your time to go on and be on an island somewhere on a jet ski somewhere? Because you deserve it, my man. Thanks for spending a couple of minutes with us, as always. And we'll find ways to keep talking to you, Joe. Anytime, guys. Love talking to you guys. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Joe. When we come back here, Kev, I'm going to tell you something. There were big governmental things that happened yesterday. We'll talk about it. Not what you think. Non-stop live odds. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Radio Network. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line. Dane and Kevin have been breaking it down. We have the national championship game. But, Kev, I got to ask you about this. Like, yesterday, there was huge news in the government as per, like, you know, our laws and stuff. And I'm sure you saw this because it was everywhere, Kev. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking yeah. about in the state of New York, Governor Cuomo saying that he's – uh. He's open because, you know, we need to generate some revenue in this state after a pandemic. And he is open for one way to that to happen is why are we losing money across a river in Jersey when we can get our bite at the apple right here in New York? Kev, it seems like Governor Cuomo has announced that he's cool with us, like, you know, not having to tell somebody to, you know, log in for us. He's cool with us doing it our darn <laughs> selves here in the state of New York. Mobile gaming, maybe on the horizon here in New York. This is big. I mean, honestly, Dane, like, that, the, the stimmy just hit. I got $700 right? that I'm ready to give back to this. Oh, okay, economy. okay. Like let's, like, let's get it cracking. This is an this is a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Oh, yeah, it's exciting. absolutely. Uh, you absolutely. Absolutely. Credit to credit to Jared Smith and more than after he he legitimately like covers this stuff. He like yeah, yeah, reaches yeah. out to Joe out of bio, mm-hmm. like and he like the assembly man and stuff, yeah. And I was I was talking to him yesterday about it. He's excited. He's trying to temper, you know, expectations a little bit, but he goes, Monday's a big day. Monday's a big day. But you know what? This is a this is still a big day. It's still a big day that we've even gotten this far and that the excitement is there. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, and let's roll. Listen. Uh, the sooner, the better. I'll put, up. put a couple of do re mi uh, to the side, and we'll 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 rock and roll when they say it's time to go. No, absolutely. The idea of you know not having to go over the river anymore and have that money go to another state. I mean, listen, it's just a monopoly, right? That's what Governor Christie said when he started this all. The state of Nevada had a monopoly on this. That's why it has been broken up. And now New York may be able to get down too. You know, I'm happy about this. Hour number two of the early line coming up next. You do your own play-by-play in your head when you play horse. Don't you? <laughs> you do. 